Good Sunday afternoon, everyone. Good to be back here for the stretch run. We got some rankings to get to, our center rankings, but a lot of news has piled up. And I think where we need to start, uh, unfortunately, is with the use of Nurkic injury. Happened a, a while ago at this point. I was lucky enough to not be watching at that particular time. I will not be watching it. That's generally my policy on these relatively gruesome injuries. It is a compound fracture to his left tibia and fibula. Had he had season ending surgery on it last week. Uh, but the positive news is no nerve or muscle damage in his leg. He's going to be out indefinitely, but it wouldn't shock me if he's able to return relatively close to the start of next season. I mean, it's still, while it was gruesome and compound, meaning it broke the skin, as long as he doesn't have any issues with infection, I think he's going to be able to come back in similar fashion to Paul George. Gordon Hayward, on the other hand, you know, his was closer to the ankle. And so you have more complications. This is really kind of right in the middle of the shin. So broken bones generally are not as bad as issues with the joint and so I actually expect him to make a, a near full recovery in this instance. But uh, that aside, what does that mean for the Blazers going forward this year? By and large, I mean, obviously there have been exceptions. Nurkic has been their second most valuable player this year. And CJ has been dealing with injuries and has been less effective th- th- this year. And that means you put a lot more on the center. Nurkic is having, I think, his best defensive year. And then he's also been productive offensively. We will talk about him later in this podcast as well. And another issue here for the Blazers is that they don't have a reasonable facsimile of a replacement. So they have Ennis Canner, they have Zach Collins. Neither of those guys is really the same type of player as Nurkic. So you can still execute. I would prefer starting Collins. I think that he's, you know, you can do more with the defensive scheme and everything there. And Canner's deficiencies, especially in a playoff series, are just so prominent and easy for teams to plan for. So it's going to be a lot harder for the Blazers to make it out of the first round. They're definitely in the playoffs. They've already clinched that a while ago. So, I mean, it's remember we've we talked about this a little bit in terms of in terms of Dame like defining success is extremely important here and it can be these individualized decisions so this is complicated for them yeah Portland lost last night to the Pistons and what was it was like what is it 34 33 at a halftime or I I think it was 33 31 at halftime oh man yeah that's right Portland actually led it yeah 14 to 11 after the first group we haven't seen a game like that in some time uh but you know and, and Blake Griffin didn't play in that one either CJ is still out we haven't really heard anything about his recovery and obviously if he's not back I mean they're and Nurkic is out I mean they're gonna lose to whoever they play in the first round I think almost certainly unless Lillard can just go completely crazy and he he struggled finally last night but he's actually had one six straight until then I think Ennis Cancer can give them very close to what Nurkic was giving them offensively defensively obviously that is quite a different story and you know they played Cantor 34 minutes last night he was negative eight he can score uh but Zach Collins has been one of the worst centers in the league in terms of PIPM Myers Leonard now is going to have to play as well you know I do think they would be better off starting Zach Collins I agree with you there just to get a little more defense um but yeah I mean this is uh this is really terrible timing for this Blazers team and you know if CJ comes back and they match up against maybe the Spurs or the Clippers you know I think they would still have a fighting chance but I I think they're clearly at this point probably one of the weakest playoff teams in the West having lost Nurkic and that's something I want to mention is that also creates a very different incentive for the teams in the bottom half of the West playoff picture because now we don't know exactly what seed Portland's going to get they're a half game behind 
Houston, though there's a reason to expect that they will not be as good as Houston moving forward. I think they have a harder schedule as well. But now getting the five seed, if your goal is to make it out of the first round, getting the five seed is is more advantageous because if Portland's getting the four, then you get an easier opponent. Now, if you want to win the Western Conference, then things get a little bit more complicated because you get the Warriors in the second round as opposed to the conference finals. But somebody's getting an easier matchup than they anticipated. I expect that to be the Utah Jazz. But I mean, and it sucks for the Blazers. I hope like you do that Nurkic can make a full recovery. And especially if you can do it early, like before the start of next season or early in next season, then that's going to be important for Portland too, because, you know, they they have basically this core other than Al Farouk Aminu under contract. So they need to, you know, we're learning right now how every game matters in terms of seeding. And it's not like they're going to get a Nurkic replacement in the offseason anyway. So they need it back as soon as they can. Yeah, and this clearly overrates him, but Yusuf Nurkic is number 10. I'm sorry, that's wrong. Number eight in the entire league in PIPM. Now, he is really, to me, the only center on the roster who is capable of playing great defense at the rim in their system where they really funnel stuff to the rim they give up the mid-range uh and try to protect the rim and you know Ennis Cantor is just not going to be able to do that I mean, he may back up but teams will just get ahead of steam and go right at him and score on him at, at the rim anyway and you know Collins doesn't quite have the length or the big body with his chest to kind of knock guys around and then uh i'm really concerned about it but what you're saying about the incentives for the guys at the bottom of course this is yet another reason why teams should just be able to pick their opponents in the playoffs if you're a top four seed i mean i guess the only downside is well it really limits i mean maybe what you could do is you could have like the top five seeds or something would be locked in and then six seven eight get to pick their opponents so you get a little more time because they only well, you mean, you mean number there. one gets to pick among six seven and eight right yeah, yeah. and then two does and i guess three would be would be locked in but it, because your only problem there is that once you've made the playoffs and you're at the bottom of the bracket there's kind of a lack of incentives to compete towards the end of the season um so maybe you you could make it that the first two seeds would get, or, or the number one seed you get to pick their opponent and that would be it out of seven and eight um or, you could or even maybe do some sort of seed. sliding yeah. scale where like different different i mean there are there are a bunch of different if they wanted to go in this approach like maybe certain teams are available but not to like maybe you can't maybe the five seed can't get picked by the number one but they yeah. could get picked by the two or something like that. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's, uh, there is, or I mean, you could also see the number one seed maybe not picking the team that they thought was easiest to play, so they'd be guaranteed to give the two seed a harder match. I mean, there, there could be a lot of gamesmanship there and maybe some unintended consequences, but I do think it's better than the current system, even so. And there'd be a lot of intrigue around who is going to pick who and where. Uh, all right, much more to get to here in terms of news. But first, this from Helix Sleep. I am feeling exceptionally well rested. I don't know if you can tell. I'm really quite spry at the moment here. And I got another great night of sleep on my Helix Sleep mattress. And the reason why is that it's customized for me. I became aware of them actually before they started advertising on podcasts. We got a mattress from another mattress company that was one size fits all and it was terrible. We had to return it. So we found Helix Sleep and said it sounded much better. It's actually customized for us. We got one. It was awesome. And this is in the very early days of Dunktown. I actually DM'd their company Twitter account and said, hey, I love your product. I would love to be a spokesperson for it. And they were nice enough to join us. And that was uh, the end of 2015. So now it's been over three years uh, that they have been a sponsor of the show. You fill out their two minute sleep quiz and they'll design your custom mattress, even customize each side for you and a partner if you have different sleep preferences. 
They also have the Helix Pillow, which are fully adjustable so you can achieve perfect comfort regardless of your sleep position or body type. And you get 100 nights to try out Helix Sleep as well. So it's really just no risk at all. If you go to helixsleep.com slash catspace right now, you'll get up to $125 towards your mattress order. That's helixsleep.com slash catspace for up to $125 towards your mattress order. Once again, helixsleep.com slash catspace. Let them know what that slash catspace URL that you came from us. So the other biggest news right now is the publicizing of pending rape allegations against Kristaps Porzingis. Now, the league office have been aware of the allegations. The Knicks have been aware of the allegations. According to Woj, they made the Mavericks aware of the allegations on the trade call. Porzingis has not been charged, correct? I have not heard that he has been, correct. Yeah, and apparently the alleged incident occurred the night that he tore his ACL last year. I am guessing that if charges have not been filed by now, that they are unlikely to be. But it really wouldn't necessarily be appropriate to comment further on this until we see more information about it. Porzingis pushing back through a statement from his attorney saying that uh, he views this as an extortionate attempt, that he has actually referred this to the FBI. So certainly troubling whenever these sorts of allegations emerge. But as far as his on-court status for next year, it doesn't sound like any sort of a determination on that due to this legal matter would be made anytime soon. We don't have enough information to say how this could affect that. So I don't think it would be appropriate to comment on it much more than simply to acknowledge that the allegation has been made at this point. Agreed. And of course, should more come from this, we will talk about it and and we'll go through it. But in the the absence of that further information or action, I think that's that's really where we can leave it. I think a a worthwhile exercise exercise to first of all i want to let people know for injury kind of news on this show from here on out the format is going to be if somebody's out for the year we'll tell you and then if somebody is playoff relevant so that could be you know like blake griffin or joel Embiid or something like that those type of players will get into smaller things if it ends up mattering but other than that so in with that in mind i'm going to do a rapid fire going through players that since the last time we did this have been announced they're out for the for the year and then nate you can stop me if there's somebody that you wanted to that you want to talk about that's totally fine so be it in atlanta Dwayne dedman mari spellman miles Plumley. in yeah, chicago well, well we should ahead. say at least what the injuries are sure for, for uh dedman left ankle spellman uh, ankle sprain i believe it's his left as well and miles Plumley left knee surgery yeah so for those guys dedman non-surgical procedure uh, due to left ankle soreness and he's had a pretty nice couple of years with the hawks but he has been derailed at times by these maladies he's going into free agency hopefully that's not something that will affect his value spellman suffered a really severe ankle sprain quite some time ago but you know even if it were grade three you'd hope he'd be ready for summer league and then uh, miles Plumley, who really has been out for the last two or three months or so with continued left knee injuries obviously that contract was preposterous the moment the bucks signed it in restricted free agency in the summer of 2016 but Plumley is a player who could have some value at least as a backup center but he's had a number of knee issues as well and so going into next year possibly a candidate for the stretch provision depending on what the hawks want to do in free agency in chicago 
show, Lowry Markkinen, that he was pulled from a game or pulled before a game. They were that he had had a, a rapid heart rate episode, and they were concerned about fatigues during a game in Toronto. They did te- they're doing testing, and I think he's going to have more testing in about a week. He is out for the remainder of the season. Yeah, for Markkinen, a couple of things here. Uh, he had experienced similar symptoms in that quadruple overtime game. Actually, I think it was in the first half of that quadruple overtime game against the Hawks. And interesting as well that that game was kind of an inflection point where he started playing a lot worse after that and you don't know whether that's related or not he had that awesome february and then it was kind of right back to where he'd been the rest of the season in march and so that's a little concerning that this testing wasn't done the first time he reported these i mean he was talking about this in even in the media you know so uh he is apparently traveling with the team he is doing workouts he's just going to wear a heart rate monitor during that so the hope is that this is nothing serious but always a concern obviously with the, an athlete in his heart especially for a, a, a big guy like him and uh wendell carter with that thumb surgery chandler hutchison with that sesamoid bone fracture in his toe and then otto porter with a strained rotator cuff uh, all those guys are, are looking like that's it, going to be it for them in dallas we had already mentioned that tim hardaway jr had a stress reaction that was going to end the season and tim mcmahon is reporting per mark cuban that hardaway will probably undergo surgery to insert a rod in his leg that it the expectation is that he will be recovered in time for training camp so this is more it, it's not it's not real it's added news but it doesn't change the prognosis but i mean looks looks like it'll be resolved yeah One, but there was a hope that hardaway could help them i mean the fact that yeah. he has been out and hasn't helped them at all has been a big part of why they've tanked although perhaps that has helped them uh but i think the mavs thought he could be a contributor for them maybe a starter it hasn't gone that way so far do you feel like pronouncing a bunch of knee term medical terms for Mbamute, or do i need to try to yeah do let me let me read this release here so uh dr riley williams who is uh, famous for being the nets doctor team usa doctor that uh was on hand when paul george broke his leg it was really odd that it took so long for this surgery to occur he it was a medial meniscectomy which is the trim procedure uh, on his left knee with a uh, medial femoral con sorry the the font on this is really small condite chondroplasty uh which i don't know what that is but in Mutsa, i mean you remember he hasn't played since like the first week of the season he suffered an injury against new orleans october 23rd and he tried a bunch of non-surgical treatment options supposedly he's going to return to basketball activity in eight weeks but it does seem like a missed opportunity if he could have had this surgery that would have had him in good shape in eight weeks why didn't he have it you know when this injury first occurred i mean i guess they wanted to try the non-surgical options but i mean after that wasn't working after a month maybe you have the surgery you might have been able to be back uh and bob mute on a one-year four million dollar deal he'll go into free agency and having not played it all this season you imagine he's looking at a veterans minimum type of prove it deal this offseason for the 32 year old i could imagine and granted i'll, I'll be on the bob mute train for a long time but i I could imagine him ending up being a value contract for the next year because like if this surgery hopefully cures what ails him that he ends up just being a value contract wherever he wants to go and that could be playing time could be title contention we'll see what he wants their co-tenants in staples center the lakers are sitting out lebron james for the rest of the year this groin issue this is is i mean it seems like it's still it's still affecting him and you know there's nothing that the lakers are really playing for at the moment so that's not a huge surprise the one that was more significant to me just because it was what what the prognosis was was newer is josh hart going through going to undergoing a procedure on his right patellar tendon 
And so he's out for 12 weeks. So this is something that's been bothering him for a while now and actually having a full on procedure and now missing another basically three months of action. Yeah, this sounds somewhat similar to what Carmelo Anthony had back in, I think it was the 14-15 season. Uh, And and Hart really had disappointed this year. I I thought that he would be one of their five best players or at least one of the best fits around LeBron. And for all the shit that magic and palinka got for not really building with shooters around lebron the shooters they did have also really disappointed this season and Hart was one of those guys and that's in part due to injury the lakers health rest record has been atrocious the last couple of years some of those you know i don't think that like the brandon ingram dvt is something that you can put on the medical staff but they hired this guy gunner peterson who had mostly been known as a celebrity trainer for this although he had worked with some athletes and even before that clearly their health record was pretty bad too uh but you know he he has not been able to improve that uh and so hopefully Hart can get back i mean between he does between he kuzma with his maybe aberrant three-point shooting in the low 30s ingram with his injury lonzo i mean all those guys are really undervalued so if the lakers do try to trade all of them this off season maybe somebody can get a pretty good deal on them or they would be wise to wait and hope that they play better next year and then try to move them uh in memphis jaron jackson formally ruled out for the season same for kyle anderson jackson with this quad injury he'll have finished playing in 58 games a little concerning here i mean we've seen some of these quad injuries be very intractable uh, for some of these guys so hopefully it's nothing i mean the grizz another team that does not have the greatest health record from an organizational standpoint they tried to overhaul things uh, at various times uh, in the past uh what else we got here in new orleans drew holiday underwent surgery to repair a core muscle injury that used to be called a sports hernia surgery jeff stotts said that the success rate is high and he should be fine moving forward that's always good to hear and also each one more with a left quad bruise and darius miller with a left adductor strain will also be out for the year the pelicans don't have a whole hell of a lot to play for so that's not a big surprise frank nokina re-aggravated his strained groin during the march 24th game against the clippers was reevaluated. he will be out for the rest of the year really a lost season for him oh, which is man. which is deeply disappointing I, I mean this is now a second setback with that groin issue for him yeah that is really a bummer and he's another guy who unless he has a really good training camp i mean he's going to be a candidate to potentially have uh, his fourth year option declined you would think so I, I think from there we can transition into some of the non-injury stuff and then go back to it for the non-season long, because that's the last season long injury. And I think the place to start with that is some of the speculation around the Lakers head coaching job. So there was some com- chatter around Jason Kidd when the Cal men's basketball yeah. job was open, which is since I, I, I wonder filled. where that came from, by the way. Yeah, I have no idea where that where that could have come from. But Kidd, so Kidd was basically rumored to be in contention for the Cal job. Then it was like, well, is he maybe going to get the Lakers job? And that there has been some pushback on him being a serious contender for the Lakers. Yeah, Stephen A. Smith reporting that the Lakers are not actually interested in him. And Feldman noticed this, how outside of the normal coaching box it is for kid to have made the number of public comments that he has about oh i would love you know you couldn't turn down that opportunity and blah blah when luke walton is still uh, the incumbent coach there ty Lu has uh handled it a lot better and uh Stephen a smith says that ty Lu is to be considered and you have to imagine that he he is the front runner we talked on our patreon mailbag 
the other day about who we thought should coach the Lakers and who will end up coaching the Lakers. That was one of the questions that we had. So uh, become a subscriber at patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue uh, for that. In Milwaukee, Chris Middleton with left groin soreness. Giannis, who's tweaked his ankle a number of times recently. Uh, and Tony Snell, who suffered a more severe ankle injury, all missed their last minute loss against the Hawks. And Eric Bledsoe came off the bench uh, to have his minutes managed. The Bucks still looking pretty solid for the number one seed. Uh, Pau Gasol, left ankle injury he's out about four weeks hard to imagine especially since he only played a few games that he's going to get back into their playoff rotation and unfortunately they dumped christian wood to pick him up and wood now in new orleans is one of their best big men he's had back-to-back games over 23 points i think he had like three steals in back-to-back games he's been uh stuffing the box score for fantasy purposes and he's a guy that we always thought could produce uh, was someone who didn't have a ton of experience playing it at high levels it was deemed to be immature from a personal standpoint hopefully he's gotten past that at this point in time Dante DiVincenzo will miss the rest of the year another guy who wasn't in the Bucks rotation but with them being so thin all of a sudden might have been able to play it would have been nice for them to at least see what they had in him the rest of the year but uh, he's had kind of a lost year uh bilateral heel bursitis for him he is having a biologic injection to help treat the injury I assume that's some sort of like platelet-rich plasma sort of treatment uh but not believed to be serious for Middleton or Giannis uh, as of this point and Malcolm Brogdon seems to be on track uh he's at least out of or off crutches and out of his walking foot boot uh, walking normally here uh what else we got something that Albert Namad pointed out which I thought was was notable is that the Rockets signed Chris Chuiza to a rest of the season contract, which they at, at some point needed to get to 14 players, but they did it earlier than, than the Rockets needed to. And why that matters is because they are right on the edge of the luxury tax. And basically what Namad did in a series of tweets was talk about how that was basically a statement by Daryl Morey that Clint Capella was not going to get either one of these bonuses that he had. He had two different $500,000 bonuses, one for rebound rate, one for free throw success rate. And if he hits either one of those with this contract, Houston goes into the luxury tax. So it doesn't look like that's going to happen, but it was, I found that interesting. Oh, Jordan, uh, can, can I add to that a little bit? Uh, Albert calculated this a couple days ago that he would need to shoot 79% from the, the foul line. He's at 63% right now at his current number of free throws to reach his 500K bonus. If I were some other team, especially if it were in a totally meaningless game, or, or I were a team that were competing against the Rockets, I might just go like Hack Capella in a game and have him shoot 30 free throws and see, and especially because he probably would like get into a rhythm in that game and just see if you could get him the bonus and put him into the tax. That would be just one of like the greatest trolls uh, of all time. And hey, I mean, and and how crazy would it be if like did Tony had to pull him? <laughs> Because like let's say he hits like ten out of he hits yeah, ten I out mean, of like ten out yeah. of twelve and they're like nope take him out yeah I mean and that yeah that that would be hilarious and that would probably be a grievance for the players association too uh, Jordan Bell has been suspended basically for making some charges to Mike Brown's credit card don't know how much it was he uh, did have some pushback and saying that at least it wasn't porn <laughs> that he like that he you know charged to to Mike Brown. Uh, in the hotel but it seems like there have been a number of these incidents and the warriors are, are just sick of it bell uh, i mean we had kind of half joked 
that maybe he the warriors would do things to try and keep his value down and restrictive agency so they could bring him back but you know this is clearly well beyond that at, at, at this point i still think he's a player that a team should take a look at in restricted free agency ethan and i when i went on his pod uh last wednesday he and i talked about that a, a little bit ethan strauss um what else we got here who uh aaron baines good news return more quickly than expected from that ankle sprain we were wondering if he was going to maybe be it was going to be towards the end of the regular season he's already back he came back last sunday so that's very good for them unfortunately i mean this was one that kind of hit me because i i heard that joel Embiid was going to miss was going to miss the first game when they played they played in minnesota on saturday but then i was reading and like oh he's missing the entire road trip which is three games due to load management and so Brett Brown is saying they're being proactive and smart about it, but sitting a guy for three consecutive games is when with with his lower body stuff, I'm I'm a little bit queasy right now. Yeah, I mean, he might be playing if these games mattered in the slightest because they are basically have like four games on either side of them at this point in time, and they are well ahead of the Celtics. They are going to be three seed. Same with the Pacers um, and and the Celtics. They seem resigned to their fate as well in the four or five. They may not even care that much where they get home court in that series against the Pacers. Uh, Al Horford has been missing time. Kyrie has been missing time. So Baines is back, which is nice, but it, it seems like they are taking it pretty easy at this point as well. In Brooklyn, Joseph Sai, who owns 49% of the Nets, the founder of Alibaba, uh, he now, it is reported by the New York Post, is going to buy the Barclays Center, which is only doing okay financially, apparently. And that will also allow him to buy Mikhail Prokhorov's 51% of the team ahead of schedule. I think 2021 had been the time for that. Uh, also worth noting that the Nets have the worst attendance in the NBA uh but the Barclays Center and the Nets disputed the story but did not provide further details and it seems like the NBA is would be very happy to get Mr. Sai in there to expand their presence in China and also you know Prokhorov uh they probably wouldn't mind seeing the back of him at, at, at this point in Toronto Patrick McCaw has a sprained right thumb and he's going to miss at least the next three weeks and Jody Meeks signed a rest of the season deal with the Raptors I believe those two things are at least slightly related and then our friend Fred Katz of The Athletic wrote an interesting story talking about something that you and I have been wondering for a long time about whether there would eventually whether whether Ernie Grunfeld had a lifetime contract or whether he there was anything he could do to pace, maybe lose grasp of the front office and wash yeah worth noting that grunfeld has been in place since 2003 uh, along with some of the other pillars in that wizards front office and leonsis took over the team in, in 2010 and maintained uh, grunfeld and you know certainly people have carped about grunfeld's record overall but it's worth noting that they're one of the worst teams in the league when grunfeld took over but if you just view it the timeline of his performance under leonsis it makes more sense that he's been retained because he drafted John Wall, struck out on Vesely, obviously, but then drafted Brad Beal and Otto Porter. I mean, that was those are three picks that were pretty good. I mean, especially the, the top of that 2013 draft, Porter actually was not bad. Beal, they did well uh, in 2012 to get him. You know, John Wall was a real good player for a long time. That was 
kind of the obvious pick there uh and then he was able to make a couple of trades that that got them into the playoffs the Gortat trade the Marquise Morris trade those looked okay um and so I mean this team was steadily advancing basically from 2010 until 2017 they got better pretty much every year except for one where Wall missed a bunch of time uh under Grunfeld and now they they of course have regressed these last two years and so Grunfeld is now feeling the heat and so this decision to uh potentially at least consult on front office decisions uh now this is outside consultations on potential front office decisions I'm not sure whether that's decisions on who to hire or decisions that the team is going to make I would assume it's the former um and multiple sources that's a lot of sources and uh oh by the way Dwight Howard uh won't be playing and you know I think he might pick up that player option uh for next year he is uh out for the year as Scott Brooks said it is safe to say he won't be returning and then the last piece of news to discuss is some more substantive reporting and conversations about the future of the New Orleans Pelicans. Gail Benson talked with Jeff Duncan of NOLA.com about how she views the franchise. She says, there, it, the quote is, there's no way I'm going to sell that team ever. I value the Pelicans as much as I do the Saints. Also, Mickey Loomis, who is the general manager of the Saints, is going to be exclusively focused on the Saints. He had been involved, he, that the new Pelicans GM will report to Ben, will report directly to Benson. So Loomis is not going to be involved in that process. And then also we're starting to get a little bit more in terms of who they're going to consider for that GM spot that will report directly to Gail Benson. Yeah, she and Dennis Lashka, who is uh, the president seems like on the business side with some consultation from loomis are going to make uh the gm hire they've hired one of these search firms five to six candidates have been recommended and they now have been granted permission to interview several front office candidates warriors assistant gm larry harris uh, who has been an important scouting voice for the warriors but also has kind of been bypassed a little bit as some others in the organization uh, have come up but uh, obviously anyone from the warriors is seems like they could get a look uh nets assistant gm trajan langdon who many say great things about the Nets deserve a lot of credit for what they've done in their organization and the perpetual candidate Rockets VP of basketball operations Gerson Rosas uh I will say that while Gail Benson was sort of deemed to be this total ingenue when it comes to owning a team she does seem to be doing a, a little bit better and taking more of an interest in the team than in the last days of Tom Benson perhaps due to his health concerns he wasn't able to be as active of an owner and you know she's moved on from Dell Dumps, which I think was something that needed to be done and I think the way they've handled the Anthony Davis thing has been about as good as they could do with it since the trade demand was made. And she, you know, even acknowledged in public comments that, hey, if, you know, if he doesn't want to be here, we're not going to try and just keep him. Uh, so, and those names obviously uh, are solid ones. They, you know, Danny Ferry, who I presume will still be a candidate for this uh, position as well, is a relatively respected voice who's running things on an interim basis right now. So it does seem like maybe things aren't great with the Pels. Maybe they don't have a, the most awesome organization but it does help to have an owner maybe who's a little bit more active so it seems like she if you're a Pels fan you have to be feeling a little bit better about things with her stewardship obviously there's a long way to go and we'll see what they get for AD and who they hire and all that but uh, well and 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 on top of that the Pelicans job should be intriguing to to some potential general managers because there is a big opportunity to 
input your vision of the franchise. I mean, there's so much Anthony Davis is going to be traded. There's a lot of a lot of different options are going to be on the table. It looks like they're going to have a top 10 draft pick of their own. They're right now I think they have the ninth worst record in the league or they're projected to have the ninth worst record in the league. So, that's an that's an asset as well what they need to do with Drew Holiday and, you know, Gail Benson taking a bigger role in it if you're not going to be answering to somebody who's running the Saints who might not have your your same interests and could be potential point of friction. That's a positive thing. And then of course, for people, for fans of the team who want, who want them to stay in New Orleans, Benson's statement that she will not sell the team is exceedingly important as well. Yeah, that you mentioned their lottery pick. I mean, it won't be until I think May 18th is the lottery. You would like to have a GM in place earlier than a month before the draft, but that's one of those jobs that could look a lot better if they move up in the draft. And or depending on who gets number one, if that's potentially a team that could trade for Anthony Davis. And Yeah, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's really interesting too. Um, before we do our center rankings, I want to encourage you to give a listen to the No Chill podcast hosted by one of the NBA's most dynamic personalities, Gilbert Arenas, one of my favorite watches uh, back in the day former all-star all nba known for really the fir- being the first prominent player to communicate directly with fans through his agent zero blog back in the days even before social media it's a weekly podcast he's had some great guests on like kevin durant nick young matt barnes ice cube and many more top guests athletes actors comedians these episodes are an hour long and gill's going to share his unique perspective on the game its personalities and various pop culture items as well his co-host and producer mike botticello has worked on the nba circuit for over a decade and on their latest episode they get into what really happens in garbage time gill's got plenty of thoughts on all these unwritten rules and the supposed sportsmanship stat padding whether guys actually play hard so it's definitely an interesting look into the nba provides a unique perspective you can listen every monday on apple podcasts or wherever you're listening right now you can also listen a day early on himalaya that would be on sundays catch up on old episodes and start listening today all right time to do our center rankings i actually found these much easier than the other positions because with it being on the end of the positional spectrum it's easier to determine what is the center and there's not as much variability in the type of players that you have at the center position my my different uh kind of my different challenge with this was was more about kind of the where the tiers were going to be and also like something i want to talk about with the center rankings is also where where these players um the threshold like one of the thresholds that we've talked about before is whether the player is good enough to like be on the floor unquestionably in not like a defense only possession or something like that but in the last couple minutes of an important game and last year that was the clarifying conversation about well okay here's where you maybe stop paying guys and incidentally like Yusuf Nurkic was one of the players that we talked about with that of just like where they were within the course of the league so that's something that I was thinking about a lot putting these together is you know where is that threshold the you know not not the like definite starter but closer is in in certain ways more important there especially when you're talking about shelling out significant money for these players or the opportunity cost of drafting a center high as opposed to a different position yeah there's no other position where you're gonna say ah we're not even gonna play one of these guys (laughs) generally right i mean you know point guard maybe you can say that like you know if you have a james harden type and then you're just gonna play kind of an off the ball shooter sort of guy or, or or you have a lebron but you know a lot of teams will just not play a traditional center and there's a lot of power forwards 
who can step up and do a better job of being a center than a lot of these centers can maybe in a different way but you know if you just said Draymond Green is going to only play center the rest of his career how high would he be on this list or Anthony Davis is another one there are a fair number of those guys we did skew a little bit more as the league has in adding some guys more to the center position now guys who've just played center more like Serge Ibaka Marcus Aldridge were power forwards last year we moved them to center this year just because you know Ibaka has played I think almost all of his minutes at center this year Aldridge I think is over 75 percent of his minutes at center he's he's a little bit slower not really able to guard on the perimeter as much but I think that's important of really who which of these guys are gonna be closing games for a good team against a good team that is a really interesting question and where is the inflection point of all right this guy if we replace him with someone else you know who's I have a tier way down kind of in the 25 to 30 range of limited starters, right? The kind of guys who, yeah, you know what? They could start for you, but you know, they're probably going to play 20 or 25 minutes a game and not close the game necessarily. Where are the guys who are such an upgrade on that limited starter sort of guy, your Hassan Whiteside, your DeAndre Jordan, your Cody Zeller, your Tristan Thompson at this point in time, the guys who are that big upgrades over those guys that you really want to pay them and you really want to build your team around them. And so I think it really, to me, the, the three differentiators were, all right, who are like just the, the offensive engines, not just the guys like, all right, I'm going to get on the offensive boards. I'm going to finish some pick and rolls. I'm going to post up every once in a while against smaller guys and be really efficient. I mean, there's so many guys like that now and you know, maybe defend okay on the other end versus all right, this guy really has two-way ability as a plus on either end or even above that, who is an offensive engine or who is just a real true difference maker as a defensive center. It seems like actually that second category, there are a lot fewer guys than there used to be. Yeah, absolutely. And just as a point of clarification, many of you have listened to these before, so you'll have to deal with the next minute. The criteria here is basically who would you most want for a season and playoffs if it started today? So you think moving forward, so that means youth is an advantage age is not necessarily and players who are within the same tier what we're saying is basically we're splitting hairs there so if don't be mad if like player a is in the same tier as player c and they're like one after the other and that that's not as big a deal as where the lines of division are and that's why the lines of division for me were hard in this one is because okay where are you where are you drawing that because you know there are a lot of these where it's kind of pick your like whatever flavor you like best or whatever you think fits best on a variety of teams whereas then okay how much materially better are those guys than this other guy yeah and finally as far as like what is a center you look at most teams in the league what position is he going to play the more you're protecting the rim the closer you are to being seven foot tall with having some heft a lack of shooting range generally means you're going to be a center you know what i mean if you have center centerish size and you can't shoot away from the rim you're a center uh are you guarding the other team's center those are all some of the questions can, can you guard anyone show. other than centers if you cannot then you are yes. a center yes yeah that, i think that's a that's a really good one too um that's the ennis canner rule <laughs> well he, he can't guard anyone including centers anyone. yeah uh yeah. all right let's start with my tier one here i have three players in it 
Joel Embiid, number one. Carl Anthony Towns, number two. Nikola Jokic, number three. And I think you, there are good arguments for any of those three guys to be number one. I went with Joel because I think he has the most two-way ability of those guys. I mean, I think he's taken a step back defensively this year, but he's taken a step forward on offense. I'd like to see what he's going to do in the playoffs defensively. But he clearly, you know, compared to Towns and Jokic, they're not in his league as a defensive player. And then if you go a tier down, someone like Rudy Gobert is nowhere close to him as an offensive player. So our our primary difference of opinion here is with Gobert. I have Gobert in this tier, though I agree with what you said. The reason why is because I think Gobert is the most valuable defensive player in the regular season in the NBA. And that counts something for me. You know, the fact that if you have him on the floor, your team is going to have a really good regular season defense. I have some qualms about his ideal role defensively in the playoffs, but I, but also, there's some context there. I mean, the last time they played the Warriors, he was coming off an injury. I don't think it's necessarily fair to evaluate off that. And if we're saying, oh, I'm worried about the playoffs, that's true of all of these guys. None of them have, at this point when we're recording this at the end of March, have proven themselves as being dominant playoff yeah, guys. When you say these guys, you mean those top four Those guys. top four. Yeah. yeah. So Embiid, Jokic, Towns, and Gobert. I mean, three of the four have made the, or sorry, four, three of the four have made the playoffs, but haven't really, you know, Towns had that weird series last year. Embiid had, a, I would say, at least to some extent, a disappointing playoffs last year. And then Gobert has, has certainly had some moments over the years, but hasn't had that like definitive performance to me. He's had some really nice ones, though. And then Jokic hasn't made it at all. So those qualms are there. And those qualms are there for damn near everybody else, too. So I think that... Yeah. I mean, Al Horford, to me, is the only player on this list that I would feel comfortable saying this guy doesn't really have any weaknesses in the playoffs that i'm really concerned about and and he's just not as valuable a regular season player as as these other ones so he's he's a little bit further down the list we'll talk about him in a bit so okay let's go through kind of i have it so my order is Embiid, Jokic, gobert and towns you laid out a pretty good case for Embiid being number one he is you know if you want to say offensively he's a step down but defensively he's a step up from the other two guys in your tier and i mean this year 60 percent true shooting on 33% usage. He's a great free throw shooter and getting to the line an absolute ton. And also I think Embiid has a lot of room to grow offensively. I mean, he takes a lot of threes. I think he can make more of them than he has. And if he can or turn down his turnovers, tone down his turnovers, like that would be a huge improvement off a guy who's already very efficient and already very dominant. And I also think that my, this is just my instinct, that part of what was a, a loose tiebreaker for me is that the idea of the affirmative case that I think three, four months from now, I could feel more comfortable about where I have Embiid maybe than Jokic. Jokic could have a great play too. I'm not foreclosing on that possibility. But if I were to guess who I'm going to feel better about after this playoff run, I'm going to go with Embiid over over Jokic. And that's part of what made my decision. So you had Jokic two and Towns three? I had Towns four. Um, I had Jokic. Oh. I, I had him below Gobert. Um, the defense offense thing is a part of it. But Jokic, so I think we, and I mean we as sports media, should start talking about Jokic as one of the best offensive players in the league. There's a lot of the for a center type stuff with Jokic. I don't think we should do that very much anymore. Yeah. I mean, he's fifth in offensive RPM. He's high in PIPM. He's the linchpin of one of the best offenses in the league. And this isn't a new thing. Denver, they're 89th percentile in offensive rating when he's on the floor this year. They were 96th percentile last year and 98th percentile the year before. He is 
is their best offensive player and makes a lot of what they do work. You and I yeah. both love Jamal Murray, but Jokic is a big part of why Jamal Murray has been so successful. Yeah, I mean, and if you're really going to look at the rest of their offense, I mean, they have guys who are capable, but I mean, they don't have another guy on this offense that would get even remotely serious all-star consideration besides him. And I mean, the, the 11.6 assists per 100 possessions, the second highest among centers is Marc Gasol at 7.1. And I mean, Jokic is easily the best passing center of all time. Like, I mean, there's the statistics are so much higher that like no one else even has close to an argument well, at this and, point in time. And beyond that, of there are 22 players in the league that have a usage rate over 29 right now and have played a significant portion of the season. Jokic is third in assist ratio behind Westbrook and Trey Young. That list includes a lot of guys who have the ball in their hands a lot. He's really facilitating Denver's offense. Yeah, and he has also brought his usage up in past years. I mean, I do think if you put someone on him in the post who's a real good post defender, I think he could be he could be stopped as far as his individual offense. You can, though, get him the ball out of the perimeter. He can run, pick, and roll with the ball in his hands. He can come off of screens. I mean, there, there are it is very difficult to shut him down, even if he's not a dominant one-on-one player where you just, all right, we're just going to dump it to the post of this guy to get him a bucket. I had Towns above him for a couple of reasons. I think, one, Towns, to me, has a little bit more defensive potential uh and whereas Jokic I think you could make the argument that Jokic has been better than him in the regular season defensively but I do think that Towns is less exploitable and would look better in the playoffs although we're never going to find out the answer to that because the Wolves are, are just you know one of the more hopeless franchises in the NBA unfortunately and, and I think because of Towns's miserable first month and all the Butler drama like what he's done since then and what he's done in the second half of the season I mean it's just absolutely he's averaging like oh, 31 points do you, do you want his all-star break post all-star break stats oh, I, yeah. I pulled him yeah 30 points 14 and a half rebounds 65 percent true shooting on 34 percent oh. usage 46 percent from wait, three wait, what percent usage 34 oh man and i mean 65 percent true shooting and 34 usage i mean that, it's that's insane like, it's completely insane I, I mean he's probably been the second best offensive player in the nba since the break yeah and i mean that is a 15 game sample there are a lot of a lot of caveats that you can put on that i did that before their loss to minnesota on saturday or the warriors before their victory over the over the warriors no i did it after that after that but before the before the oh, oh, oh lost to philly okay, the loss to philly yeah. correct no and, and so yeah i mean towns that's you know if you can extrapolate even a toned down version you know a regress to the mean version of that it's incredible and so yeah that was what what i the first line of my carl towns thing because i write these little segments on people which i should probably publish but i haven't done that yet is how differently would we feel about carl anthony towns if he had been utilized properly over the last few years like i i think carl anthony towns like there's a there's a pretty solid argument that he is i mean we had this argument with Jokic about like the him alone kind of test with him and all those two guys as offensive talents Jokic, because of Mike Malone and because of their personnel, has had a much greater opportunity to demonstrate his skills and to show, hey, this is what he can do. And so it's entirely possible, if not probable, that Towns, if given a similar opportunity, would be able to dominate the way that he has recently. Yeah, but again, I mean, this is, uh, and we're talking about if the season started right now, going forward for a season in a playoffs, I mean, if Jokic plays better in the playoffs, then I'm excited. I expect him to be very good offensively in the playoffs, but if he holds up better defensively in the playoffs than I think he's going to, he would be uh, above Towns, I think. But, uh, and we'll see whether 
offensively he can push Denver to these same type of heights or, or whether some of his passing can be shut down a little bit oh, more so yeah. something I wanted to talk about with Jokic defensively I, I pulled the Jokic and other big stats because I wanted I, I that was something that I've wondered about this year for those who remember I did this a lot on the 15 and 60s last season with the Nuggets Jokic and Millsap 106.5 defensive rating Jokic and Plumley 108.8 and those are both significant samples about you know 2,800 possessions with Millsap about a thousand with Plumley, and then 118.4 when he plays without Millsap or Plumley, that's about 900 possessions and they have a negative 8.3 net rating now there are some sample issues there you're not you're not necessarily facing it but there's this idea that maybe it's just the personnel that Denver's other fours you know their other bigs that aren't those two guys are just so bad defensively that it that maybe a more a more modest fit could work but I mean if if they really are only defending when he has another big next to him who is a much who is a better defensive player then that's that's genuinely concerning because with these players in the rarefied area he is being that amazing an offensive player is useful and valuable but if you you know if if there's a ceiling on it because you can't defend against great teams then it's then he does his value does diminish so do you want to talk a little bit more about why you have gobert not only in this year but ahead of towns so I think it's if if Towns can extend what he's doing over a little bit longer, but I think that but I, it starts out with the idea that for me Gobert is the most valuable regular season defender in the league. I mean he's number. You can look at this from the eye test. You can look at this from the all in one box score metrics where he's number one in defensive RPM and defensive PIPM and has you know has been that type of player for years now. This is not a limited thing. He not only blocks a ton of shots and is a wonderful defensive rebounder, but he also affects a ton of shots something that has always been hard to quantify in the metrics there was some good work done years ago on non calculus but it is it's one of those things that i think we that there could be work on maybe it's being done privately i would guess that it is so that is really important to me the fact that you can just throw them out there and say hey we're gonna have a really good defense and utah does have other very good defensive personnel but they've done it in a lot of different configurations and i think gobert is huge in that and then something else that i really like with gobert that in terms of his defensive value is not only are you kind of establishing that you're going to have a very good defense it's a very good defense that doesn't require switching and what that means is that you could theoretically if you were to plop Gobert in a lot of other circumstances you wouldn't be as wedded to a specific type of strength or weakness for a guy defensively you can say hey who's good offensively how can you make it work and that's something I think Utah since they're the team that has Rudy Gobert can use when they're figuring out who should play next to Donovan Mitchell you don't have to necessarily be as rigid about scheme because you have this amazing guy that's going to be the the centerpiece of your defensive your defensive alignment much has been made of rudy gobert setting the modern record since it's been tracked a record for dunks in a season i think he's over 270 now and that definitely has value and clearly you know a lot of that is utah's system i mean when you run the most pick and rolls in the nba and multiple pick and rolls every possession or handoffs you have more chances to roll to the rim and get it dunk and utah they'll play a little bit with favors and gobert together but usually not more than about 10 minutes a game and so there's always going to be spacing around gobert uh, but a lot of that too is he's a good alley-oop guy he's a, a great dunker he's good on the offensive glass so that definitely has value i do think it's 
something that is replaceable maybe not just getting up for an alley-oop for a lot of guys but just being a solid role man you know i'm not gonna say he's like a much better offensive player than uh, and he's not really gonna make plays other than right at the rim you know i think you can replace him his offensive game you know there are other guys who can do that finish around the rim uh sure to me what so, i would say is he's a positive but he's a modest one yeah, yeah and, and also i mean you he his lack of skill level is a big reason why utah can be switched pretty easily and effectively because he's not going to post up a smaller player really I mean, well, and, and, and we'll see bit, if they get trapped more frequently as well he's yeah. not he's not the greatest at reading those circumstances we talked about this with serge Ibaka a lot last year yeah well he's a lot better than Ibaka. oh I he's better than Ibaka to be to be sure yeah but. yeah but i mean it's it's tough for him to like every once in a while make a play off the dribble i think he's improved his passing but i i agree i mean i, I wouldn't view that as like a huge strength of his game so my tier two and I think, you know, there is a statistical argument for Gobert when you just look at the overall impact metrics is perhaps defaults back to, and, and you know, I think maybe also other than Embiid that maybe Gobert has a greater likelihood of being on a championship team than Towns or Jokic, just because you, you might say, well, you're going to have a ceiling on your defense when you've got Towns or Jokic as good as they are offensively, and they can probably you know push guys in the regular season uh and i mean it's tough right because gobert he's clearly the best defensive player i think in the regular season in the nba uh but he his value over replacement player because center is primarily a defensive position is probably lower with his defense than the value over replacement player on offense of towns and Jokic because there just aren't really very many good offensive centers who actually are like really team centerpieces and in the impact metrics make a huge difference offensively but then also you know gobert it's easier maybe to build a championship team around him now you're gonna have to find a lot more offense than you with those other guys but you're not gonna have as many weaknesses if you've got him out there potentially you know assuming that he can hold up against the absolute most awesome offenses in the playoffs which he's done an okay job they did a decent job against houston last year so you were going to unveil your tier two yes uh after that ramble so rudy gobert number four lamarcus aldridge number five and al horford number six that was my tier two and i think of that as kind of lower level all-star type of players horford not as good in the regular season but i I do like that i think he has maybe the fewest weaknesses of anyone in this group Uh, probably the only one you would say that's a weakness for him is defensive rebounding um aldridge just you know i think he's been dealt a difficult hand in terms of the impact metrics this year because the spurs starting lineup is just such a weird fit and he has to play with demar Derozan uh and a bunch of guys who can't really shoot that well he's had to play in some too big alignments um uh but i still think he's a, a really really valuable offensive player and really the engine of the spurs offense what has been a very good offense this season i think he's a, you know a totally average defensive center in that spurs system and you know that's not bad i think and he's got a little bit more quickness than some of these guys even still in his getting into his early 30s now it's going to sound like we have a big difference of opinion here but it's really just a couple of a couple of definitional things so my tier two is only one guy and it's al horford but really that's not that different from what you said because you have gobert here and so like i have him a little bit above that and then i'm just a little lower on works than you that's been true for a long time like it just 
I, with him, certainly a capable player, and this year hasn't been as strong for him defensively. I agree uh, with you. I'm that, glad that you think like a nine-time All Star in the West is a capable player. That's well, no, like he's say. he's a very he's a very good yeah. offensive player, but like to me, he's not like I don't think you you put him on an offense, you're not like oh my god, they're gonna be they're gonna be amazing. Like just because he's there, he can be a part. He has been a part of many successful offenses over the years and been an integral part. To be to be sure. I'm more skeptical on him defensively, but I agree with you that there are a bunch of reasons why looking at single season stuff for him this year is weird because not only just you brought up the, the weird starting lineup, but the Spurs having a bench lineup that makes more sense than their starters and is closer, that is better relative to opponents than their starters are. You know, like that, not, I'm not saying their bench is better than their starters. This was the problem with Sacramento last year where they just had a bench that was way better relative to opposition than their starters were. So then all their on off stuff got totally messed up. And and that you know that that is somewhat relevant especially when it's constructed the way that it is but yeah i mean horford for me still absolutely a capable defender i love his offensive fit with so many teams and this is actually his career high in true shooting some of that is just the league evolving into a place offensively where he can work and you know easier thing 36 percent from three 5.13 per hundred possessions 19 usage highest block percentage of his career which was surprising to me as well and it's a little bit concerning this is there's a parallel here with aldridge that boston's defense has not been nearly as resolute this year when Horford's been on the floor, but I do think there are some mitigating factors there. And I think, and also they've yeah. been, he's only played like 80 minutes with Baines. Yeah. It's year. so their defensive rating with, with Horford and Baines is 94, five in 263 possessions. That's wild. Yeah. And for Horford, playing a, his ability to play some power forward is useful as well i mean he has that shooting ability mid-range he, he can make good decisions he's one of the best passers in this group you know obviously a, a level below Jokic, but you know with he gasol uh probably even could put demarcus in this category as well mason Plumley, like the, those are the guys who are averaging over six assists per hundred possessions in this group and so I, I think really between tier one and tier two, you know, I, I think that you are sleeping on Aldridge. It's like, but these are the six guys to me that have a history of playing at an all-star level or above. I, I think, you know, Embiid, Towns, Jokic, those guys are playing at a superstar level. And then, you know, all-star level, Gobert, Aldridge, and Horford. And then getting below there are the guys who, you know, have really come up this season, but haven't quite proven it yet. Uh, or, and so I've got a tier three now, seven, eight, and nine, three guys, Nikola Vucevic, Miles Turner, and yes, DeMarcus Cousins, just because I think projecting what he's going to do going forward over the next year or so, you know, I think he'll be on another team and he'll be back at maybe not quite an all-star level, but I, you know, he's going to provide a lot of offensive production in a way that some of these guys aren't. Yeah. Cousins, Cousins was one of the hardest guys for me to place. Oh yeah. It's impossible. And, and a big part of it is, so you, so you can look at, I think Vooch is a clarifying way to look at DeMarcus Cousins because Vucevic is having this fantastic offensive season and numbers you know, love his defense too to, exactly uh, and that's I, where I'm i wanted to go with this it, but like i have uh, so so vooch this year you know per is like 26 five fifty seven percent true shooting on 28 percent usage but what i think is the most important thing yeah i mean orlando has defended well with him on the floor and i've also liked that some of the lineups where they
they haven't had as much because they're, they're, I mean, having Isaac and Gordon as your forwards does help a big man who we've thought for a long time was defensively limited. But when they've had fewer of those guys on the floor, they've still defended pretty well. And also worth noting, you know, like, hey, how can a guy, you know, play center on a fringe playoff team? Using cleaning the glasses, garbage filtering measures, Orlando has a plus 3.8 net rating when Vooch is on the floor and a negative eight net rating when he sits. So if this team had a competent bench, they would be in a different part of this playoff conversation. And so, and Vooch has been their best player overall this year. So I want, I wanted to kind of, kind of get that. And so the, the theory of DeMarcus Cousins, I haven't seen too much this year. Like, yeah, his three point shot hasn't been falling, but I haven't seen too much this year from him. That makes me say in a different situation, especially if you like started the season right now, that he would be a dramatically inferior offensive player to what we saw last year when he was a Pelican. I do think that a lot of his face the basket game that might be about done that has not impressed the bringing the ball up shooting threes off the dribble you know his three-pointer has not looked great but his passing has looked good I still think his post-ups can be effective defensively you never know with him I really want to see how he ends up looking in this year's playoffs but at a minimum as a regular season player you know I think you, you have to look at him as a minus defensively at this point in time for Cousins and that's concerning uh but you know I still think his fit on this Warriors team is not a we've been saying that since the moment he was signed but as a floor raiser type of guy who can provide offense in bunches high usage can pass the ball space the floor hopefully he'll get healthy enough to shoot the three a little bit better as time goes on here you know i think that can be a pretty valuable guy uh so that's why I have him at nine. I mean, I, I it wouldn't shock me if next year he gets into tier two. Definitely won't be a tier one guy just because I think his his efficiency and his defense are not going to be good enough uh, to get back to there, to where he was. Um, but, you know, I could see him also being down in tier four, maybe even tier five. If he just, all right, this guy just is going to create a bunch of shots. He's not going to be that efficient and his defense sucks. So it's still much yet to be written. I'm pricing in some potential improvement for him from a health perspective over the next year or so with this ranking so let's get to miles turner first he's somebody that we both have in this tier turner it is putting out a monster monster defensive year i mean the the all-in-one stats love him he's number one in the league in block rate at 8.5 percent which is ridiculous and he is not fouling as much as he used to that's you know it's more of a team thing that they're not fouling as much as they used to then turner his rate has dropped it's i think he's dropped like basically a foul a game kind of something in that range yeah. i mean that's and, huge i mean when oh, you yeah. just consider a, a foul a game might not seem like much but that's going to reduce the number of games that you get in foul trouble at any right and, and it, or not even necessarily games you get in foul trouble but even like quarters and halves like that's sort of like you know two fouls early or something some, something in there some i'm still concerned that while he has his individual defensive rebounding numbers have improved over the years the pel the sorry the pacers i had a p in here so i got confused the 25th they're still in the 25th percentile in defensive rebound proportion during his minutes that's not good now they're playing smaller at the four and often at the three than a lot of other teams are so some of that is personnel but i mean it can it can be a problem there but then the other reason why i have turner in this tier there's a parallel here with carl anthony towns in that i think he has so much untapped offensive potential and it's not fair to punish him for being in a system where they're not asking him to do things that he can do yeah i mean 
why couldn't he just if he just got used like brooke lopez you know i think he would help the their offense so much more i think he's even got a little bit more just like like pick and pop ability than lopez does and yeah he can shoot a little bit more in the mid-range if he gets ahead of steam up towards the basket he can finish but he's not a good layup finisher pretty miserable in the post he could shoot a turnaround but you know not really something you want as part of your offense but while i really admire what nate mcmillan has done in a lot of facets and he deserves a ton of credit for coaching turner up to be the defensive player that he has been this year and hopefully will be going forward i mean if you just park turn around in the perimeter and put him three feet beyond the line and have him bomb it which i think he is totally the type of shooter who would be able to do that in similar fashion to lopez uh you know then you look at just a really really valuable player um but yeah the thought here again is that he's going to continue to take some steps forward so i want to see what he looks like in the playoffs defensively this year but we're probably higher on him than a lot of people so anything else to say on this group any other name that you would have in your your tier three yes i actually have two names that we haven't mentioned okay. that we haven't mentioned yet and both of them are like guys that i'm a little higher on than most but i i just thought when i was drawing out the lines i'm like well this is where they are what is brooke lopez i mean he's such a he's a a hard guy to place in this because he is in a perfect ecosystem that will come up with a couple other players yeah but but at the same point even if not everything that he's doing this year is replicable you could put you could put this guy and just do systems around him and it would and it would work because you have a floor spacing five who teams have to defend out there who can affect shots at the rim who can block shots like yeah there are there are players who are more versatile than he is there at but there are so many teams that would be better off with having Brooke Lopez the way that he's been utilized this season and maybe you know 37% from three this year the frequency not fluky at all but maybe maybe be more maybe 35 but he's also he's taking super deep threes which provides even more value and so like one of the notes that I had in here was that he might not be versatile but is anyone in this tier truly versatile like all of them kind of they fit in one box better than almost every other box and that's fine you know that that's kind of what makes them here instead of being higher up there so i i just like i just felt that he was he was in this tier i felt more comfortable with that and also lopez even though he has a lower usage than a lot of guys in this group he's providing value by spacing the floor that that the other guys don't necessarily do so i thought about maybe moving him up uh, to this level he was high in my tier four uh, that i kind of looked at as starters with two-way ability and i think the difference with him is just the lack of defensive versatility you know he is in the perfect system for him defensively right now and he is extremely valuable we saw for example those houston games how good he is when he's right around the rim but he's also pretty useless outside of a five foot cone away from the basket. he's improved i mean he's he's worked harder to get out on shooters uh but you know i mean you can get a pick and pop three against the bucks anytime you want to and you know if you were in another system where they're not helping in as much from the perimeter he doesn't have a Giannis next to him you know he's a good box out guy he's a good at protecting the rim but you know against the the best teams you know if he doesn't have Eric Bledsoe out top getting over screens just by himself and not requiring help and he is in such a good position and credit the Bucks for putting him in a place to succeed but if you look at where he was defensively on teams with worse talent around him he looked like a really bad defensive player with the lakers last year on some of those nets teams uh now the counter argument to that is he's actually being underutilized offensively uh and with the way he can space the floor when teams put a small on him he could really be killing guys in the post i mean he is just a load 
down in the post not a good passer which is a little bit of a problem but i think his post-up ability is kind of being underutilized at this point in time so he might even be able to do more offensively but i also think that that defensively he looks so good right now because of the coaching and the system around him and and when we're trying to project where a guy would be you know in different situations you know it's he would be a lot lower potentially as a defensive player the last guy that i have and he was really the borderline player for me between this tier and the next one especially because i was choosing basically it's it it's him and clink capella like those were kind of the two guys i was thinking about and it's steven adams i ended up putting steven adams in this tier i'm just more of a believer in his defense i think than most people i also you know i think he's totally overrated defensively he he might be but i also think that you know they've they've pretty consistently defended well in the four they've had obviously they have wonderful defensive talent outside of steven adams which is completely true and maybe it's me overreacting and being my vitriol towards the way that guys who are great box out players but do not grab defensive rebounds for themselves get hurt by a lot of these type of things because like the thunder have been a wonderful defensive rebounding team when he's been on the floor they've been great every single year and they've had a huge drop off every single year when he's not on the floor some of that is okc's backup center position being bad for a couple of years yeah. and all he that also kind of matches stuff. his minutes up with westbrook a lot sure too. yeah you know, but westbrook but i think adams i think rebounds. adams is the most important reason they're a good defensive rebounding team i don't think yeah. uh, russ russ you know he's a he's great he's the best defensive rebounding point guard i can ever think of probably the best of all time but adams is a big part of making that possible and i think that's true and then adams offensively to me he he doesn't take a lot he doesn't add a lot to the table but he also doesn't take a lot out other than not shooting you know from the perimeter or anything like that he's a capable role man 60 percent true shooting on 60 percent usage so i probably should have him with capella i don't know i just i feel more comfortable maybe it's because adams has been more consistent like capella had that great year last year and then has has been a little bit worse this year that i'm just kind of a little i'm just less comfortable with it but i don't know i give Stephen adams the benefit of the doubt maybe i shouldn't but i do yo i had all those guys in a lower tier but something that should be in the highest tier for you is Hulu. Their live TV plan gives you live sports for only $45 a month. You can get rid of cable. Think of how much your cable bill is. I mean, I think for most people, like for TV, is that like 100 bucks? It's crazy. Hulu can do it for only $45 a month. Watch your favorite teams, the biggest games all season. No cable required. You can watch on the go on all your favorite devices. And to get the word out, Hulu is paying some of the league's best players a lot of money to do some crazy stuff. Joel Embiid has changed his nickname from the process to Joel Hulu has live sports sports and beat damian lillard got a tattoo that says hulu has live sports everyone wants you to know that hulu has live sports they now have over 60 live and on-demand channels tons of shows and movies and of course hulu exclusive originals as well my wife and i have been watching pen 15 which is one of the most hilarious shows that i've seen if you haven't watched that yet these two comedians go back and play themselves as middle schoolers in the year 2000 surrounded by actors who are actually like you know middle school aged, and it's really just like absolutely hilarious like coming of age comedy so that that's another reason to sign up for hulu as well you can learn more at hulu.com. Note that for the live sports, the live TV plan is required and restrictions apply. So my tier four, which you've named a couple of guys who are my tier four that you had a little bit higher. But I would say that this group, you know, where you look at Vucevic, Turner, and Cousins, to me, what differentiated them from the rest of this group uh, or, or from this tier is that those guys have some two-way ability and they're, they're truly exceptional on one of those two ways, Turner on defense, Vucevic, and Cousins on offense offense and Vucevic still very interested to see how he holds up in the playoffs and assuming the magic make it 
So I've got nine guys in this next year that I label as starters who have two-way abilities. So the top of that, Yusuf Nurkic, we're going to assume, I think, that he makes a, a full recovery from this broken leg. I think that's going to happen, hopefully. Uh, Brooke Lopez, who we talked about extensively. Capella, you know, he's lower for me than last year. I think just with Houston's defensive struggles with, you know, I think he has some limitations offensively, not being able to shoot outside of the basket area, and then just hasn't been as good defensively. His switching hasn't been as good this year. I think you know, while they had to go away from the switching, he just wasn't staying in front of guys as well when they were doing more switching earlier in the year. We'll see whether they go back to that against the Warriors if there is that matchup. Uh, you know, the defensive rebounding hasn't been quite as good for him. That, that's that been a big problem for this Houston team, and he's not the only reason for that, but, you know, he's not a, a great box out guy when he does switch out on the perimeter he hasn't done as good of a job of getting back and he just generally to me hasn't had as much energy hasn't been in quite as good a shape steven adams is in this tier this is a rough order but not perfect marcus soul his passing three-point shooting hasn't really been there for toronto neither has his teammate serge abaca who i have in this year but i think abaca has been excellent shooting the mid-ranger this year it has been part of a, a very solid toronto defense and then three other guys who you know it would be tough for me to be dead certain that they should be in this year they're definitely at the bottom of this Derek favors and the guys have had smaller roles Derek favors Dwayne Dedman and Bam Adebayo interesting uh yeah the last ones those are all guys that I have pretty comfortably in uh, not that I have in the next year yeah I, I considered I considered all of them though I, I really yeah. like Dedman I really uh, like th- favors. they're not the type of names well so is there anyone I haven't mentioned yet that you have in this which is your your tier four did you mention Drummond Oh, you know what? I accidentally uh, deleted him when I was moving stuff around. Yeah, he should okay. be in there. Yeah, yeah. Drummond, Drummond was the one guy for me. So mine adds in. Yeah, we don't need to talk about the ones that we've already discussed. The difference. This is for those who wondered. This is where I have Demarcus Cousins is in this tier. Yeah, and which, which I think is totally defensible. I mean, he hasn't proven yet that he's back. Yeah. So I called this group. I'm still skeptical because the original group it was like Capella and Nurkic and Stephen Adams and all those type of guys. But then I ended up kind of combining and, and separating out a little bit. And yeah, I mean, it, I I was I enjoyed having both Toronto centers here you know having Ibaka and Gasol were both in this and the guy that I want to talk about is with a little bit of time is Drummond Drummond the like the all-in-one stats love his defense I'm not there yet I it might be that I'm just wrong but when I like you can look at a couple different things one is the Pistons have defended better with him off the floor in all but one season of his career and that one season is not this season it's that was I think like two years ago three years ago something like that and he is a wonderful individual he's a great elite 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 defensive rebounder himself but Detroit has not been an elite defensive rebounding team when he's been on the floor they've actually largely rebounded better when he's been off the floor now they have had some pretty like i mean this year they have zaza patrulia who can be a very good rebounder in the individual and team contexts yeah and, and they had like tobias harris at the four like they've had some pretty yes yeah there, there's a lot of context there but if you're like him. talking about like oh yeah this guy like he's a great defender or something like that yeah but and, with blake griffin they should be able to like now right they also have no rebounding even on their three perimeter for the guys. Per, yeah but yeah but i, I agree i mean I don't and think then he's a great box and then the guy. other part is if you look at the on off this is true i think last year this year there isn't really a big difference in terms of the proportion of shots or success rate of opponents in the restricted area with with Drummond and when his replacement is Pachulia, you know, not not exactly amazing in that respect. And last year, the Pistons were actually way way more stingy at the rim when Drummond was off the floor. And again, I think there is a lot of context to that. And remember some of the perimeter defensive woes they had last year. And so you're not comparing apples to apples with the on off stuff with Drummond. It's just for me when there's that much uncertainty, 
then I'm not going to give them as much credit. And then offensively, it's still insane to me that somebody who is as in- incredible an offensive rebounder as he is, you know, 17% offensive rebound rate, is still a league average player in true shooting. Like, that's just wild to me. And some of that, you know, he's not a great free throw shooter, better the last two years than previous, six, uh, 59% this year, 61 last year. But, you know, taking 31% of his shots from floater range and making 38% of them, that's not really helping. And so for me, he's not so good offensively that he's really creating much of a, much of a mismatch, other than the the ocu- the the space he occupies in in people's minds and on the court as an offensive rebounder which absolutely is important yeah the free throw shooting has gotten better these last couple of years i mean those i'm just so glad for him and deandre jordan that like they're good enough now that they don't have to go through like this hack of bullshit and, and i'm happy for us too and, and good on the league to like kind of change the rule at least um but yeah i think like drummond's offense to me is quite overrated i mean he at least has gotten away from the post-ups and the bad shots but i don't think he's necessarily an asset offensively i also think he's lost bounce maybe earlier in his career than a lot of guys that he could stand to lose probably 20 pounds i think and that that would help him. i mean he hasn't been just like crushing those alley-oop dunks i mean the way if you go back to like that one year that they made the playoffs which was 15 16 that pick and roll with he and reggie jackson was so unstoppable because he really was able to either get the offensive rebound or get up and just crush dunks on people's heads we haven't seen to me that type of explosion from him uh recently so uh I'd be interested to see what he looked like on a team other than the Pistons that maybe could put him into a little smaller role offensively. But, you know, I don't think he's a huge asset on offense and, you know, one of the poor all-star selections of the last few years. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Serge Ibaka. I hadn't, this gives you an opportunity to kind of look at certain parts of a guy's profile that we just don't do that often because we're looking at so many other things. His offensive role is more different this year than I expected, considering he's on on the same team different head coach of course his three-point attempt rate has basically halved he was at seven per hundred possessions last year and now he's down to four and he's only part of that is that he's only making 26 percent of them but abaka still has one of the highest true shooting percentages of his career and the highest usage 22 percent usage of this year which is the more than he ever had in oklahoma city and last year in toronto and part of that is that he's getting to the line in the basket more and he's making 77 percent of his shots in the restricted area which is a career high having better spacing around being more of a straight five does absolutely help that but I, I, I thought it was kind of cool that he's taking fewer threes but is still a more efficient offensive player and then something we've talked about is his passing and decision making has been way better this year than before yeah we'll see uh, how much that improves um but i do and i think you know three-point shooting this is like a weird aberration that it's been so bad he hasn't been asked to do it as much either but you know his mid-range shooting has been so awesome i think those two things will kind of even out if we were to start a season right now going forward let me talk a little bit about why i have favors deadman and Adebayo here uh, above this next group which we'll talk about favors i mean i think he's having one of the better defensive seasons of his career you know he's got pretty decent mobility for a center i think he's really improved his rim protection quite a bit and then as as a finisher i mean he's still one of the best finishers in the nba it's been a disappointment to me that he just never posts up anymore and it's not any good i mean he used to be when he played power forward you know years ago before he had basically that lost year to injury i I thought he was actually a very effective post-up player just putting guys in the goal but that's not what the jazz want to do and his few post-up attempts that really uh, have gone pretty poorly but he he still i think is a positive on both ends 
and there just are not that many guys that you can say that about it just so happens and i think we would talk about him much differently if he were just a starting center on another team instead of coming off the bench i mean you go back to what he was able to do for example as a starter in 16 17 in that clippers series where he really saved them after gobert went out i mean he is a starting quality center i would rather have him uh, and and i think he's a a solid two-way guy so if you're a solid two-way guy you get in this category even if it's that kind of the bottom of it deadman you know he's his defensive on off metrics are pretty solid you know obviously this is a hawks team that hasn't had defense as a priority in terms of personnel they've been in more of a developmental mode these last couple of years but he's at 37 percent from three and shooting a pretty large number of attempts now health is a concern for him too i mean that maybe is one of the arguments why you should be lower that he just can't play that many minutes you know he's not gonna be more than a 25 minute a game guy and he's not gonna play that many games um but i think he deserves a lot of credit for being someone who can shoot the three and go up and get alley-oops i mean there are not too many of those guys who can be either a roll man or a pop man and atlanta with their system has really done a great job with some of those double high pick and rolls of utilizing his ability to either roll to the basket or pop or just you know even shoot the corner three and and Deadman deserves so much credit for his improvement where he had taken one three-pointer in his NBA career until last year and now he's at 37% for his career on like a pretty decent number of attempts he's well over 200 attempts so far this season so that that is very impressive his skill level and then Adebayo I like his ability to switch he can grab and go he can get up for alley-oops he hustles he can get on the offensive glass I think he's just solid enough in a lot of areas his recognition as a conventional pick and roll defender would be better I think he's been awesome in that Miami zone uh but I think he's another guy that you can look at especially if we're going to project forward starting a season right now a guy who could be a positive on both ends and you're I think as we get into this next tier that again is where I make the uh distinction between these guys and Lord. so I, I certainly would understand with those guys being less established as high level starters why they would be lower for some people it's also instructive in a lot of these i mean you brought up favors as an example of opportunity dictating how we think about players and i would say to an extent that's also true with demontis sabonis i i think sabonis is a starting caliber player i don't have him so i have him alongside guys like favors and deadman in my next tier down and part of it was just you know i think he could do well with the opportunity as well now the defensive numbers for him are a little rosier than i'm comfortable with but i still think he's capable on that end i think he's intelligent and then his passing and screening and his efficiency is i mean so i think he's over 60 true shooting this year sabonis like to me he's he's just behind somebody who's better than he is and there's there's no shame whatsoever in that be the extension negotiations with him are going to be really challenging and so that's that's kind of part of why i ended up with guys like favors and bam in this tier was that i couldn't myself make the argument of they're they're more certain they're so much better than somebody like sabonis you could turn that same argument and say well then just move sabonis up with them but i couldn't i I didn't feel ready to do that either yeah to me the difference between you know i've got uh, my next group is a lot of guys who i see as kind of just being good on one end uh you know and i label them as starters slash high impact reserves right because you could say hey sabonis harrell i mean harrell is closing games for the clippers but you know it's not really as good defensively as you might want necessarily you know or like Jonas valanciunas i mean these are guys who definitely have an impact might be better off the bench on a really good team but i might still rather have them even if you're going to have 
have them in a bench role because they really make a difference there as opposed to say your Hassan Whiteside or a Willie Cauley Stein or Cody Zeller like guys who are starters but you know, are kind of limited there um but you know I think Sabonis in particular I mean he just can't protect the rim at all you know what I mean he he's quicker than he seems and he's smart but just when it gets right down to it like guys are just going to score on him at the rim and he's also I think very well protected on a very good defensive team yeah he's, I think Corey Joseph is helping him out a lot yeah no I, I, I yeah because they don't switch at all and he he is matched up a lot with Joseph I think he's a wonderful offensive player I think he can get a lot better um so other guys that I looked at in this group Robin Lopez still a good box out guy intimidator on the rim I think he he could his shooting could get used a little bit, bit more he's got a decent hook shot game uh Jakob Pertl is was higher on this list for me last year actually I mean his development has been a little disappointing he's kind of getting yanked around by uh, Greg Popovich some Mason Plumley I had in this group and, and you know we're kind of talking in the 20 to 25 range now and here's you know this is where you get into the all right do you really want to pay these guys or should, can we just get uh, you know is this guy at 10 to 15 million a year these type of players you know, not all of them make that but do you want to pay this guy that much even you know 17 18 million a year or do you want to just go with you know an Aaron Baines type who's made five million you know or so, someone like that uh yeah or the or the Golden State approach would just get three guys you know maybe one for more than yeah. the minimum and just play them by whoever fits in best yeah and it, you know depending on what the matchup is and obviously you know when you have the other offensive firepower that yeah it, and has. you and you know that your best lineups are going to have another guy draymond green at center like that you can't you can't replicate yeah. that everywhere else either yeah so uh, uh, any comment on this group is there uh, the other guy i didn't mention that i had you know in this 20 to 26 range is uh jared allen that's who i was going to mention <laughs> yeah yeah i have jared allen in this group as well i drew the lines slightly differently but i don't think the differences matter too much to run through so i'm not i'm not going to and so for me how i how i did this was these guys are starting caliber but i don't think they're closers at least in big games like that was you know valanchunas is a great encapsulation of that talented player doing really well for memphis but when the chips are down you're going to want to go in a different direction. And it it's mostly not because these guys are bad. It's just because the league is going in a different direction and you don't necessarily need it on the floor. And Deadman to me, I, I have him here. I we, we talked about that before. Yeah, I mean, so I had a couple of tough decisions between this and then I had the next tier down, which were fringe starters, but ideally backups at this point. And for me, the difference was more just that they weren't providing, either they weren't providing as much of the positive or they were a clear negative on the other end of the floor. And so, like, for me, a good representative there is DeAndre Aiden. Like, Aiden, talented offensive player, puts up the box score stats, and yeah, he's looked better as a switch guy, but if you're going to have a good defense, you're going to want, or at least a capable defense, you're going to want to have a better center on the floor. And I also think that what he does defensively, especially with what it requires from the surrounding personnel, is harder to fit in. And now, maybe, and I think this is very likely, because remember, this is just for this year. This isn't ranking where DeAndre Aiden's going to be at 25. That's a very different question that we're not grappling with at all here but at this point you know if if you were to put him on a team with better surrounding talent i think that would be a bigger problem you go oh well then you could switch well great you can find a bunch of other really good players you can create offensively who can switch more power to you yeah, I think Aiton and Ennis Cantor are, are somewhat similar players at this point in time. Um, I like Aiton better for what it's worth. I actually have them in different tiers. Okay. Well, I mean, whereas, well, Cantor provides more on the offensive glass. Um, that's probably about it. You know, maybe you could say it. 
cancer versus Aiton as a post-up guy maybe I, I might give cancer the edge there also uh Aiton better finisher on the rim they're probably about equal in terms of their mid-ranger at this point in time Aiton does have that switch ability but you know does not really affect guys who are on the rim that much I mean his really low block rate is is a big reason why there's concern about him going forward as opposed to some of the other guys who might have had the same recognition problems that he has had at a young age but those guys at least block shots you know miles turner or even you know someone like mitchell robinson this year or hassan whiteside like those type of guys those guys at least block shots you know they have the raw shot blocking ability which ayton really has not demonstrated in college or this season um so you know i have him in kind of this limited starter area where all right maybe you start the guy but we're uh and rookies are always tough to, to put in these two i mean wendell carter i have in this tier as well who i think showed some signs defensively but offensively you know was pretty inefficient uh avicha zubach was in this tier for me as well you know guys who might start for you no problem but then you know they're probably not going to close games for you uh some other guys that i had here deandre jordan i mean i think he's just slipped so badly defensively at, at this point in time i think he can still be a positive on offense going up for alley-oops but you know if it's not a dunk he, he's going to struggle to finish it at least he's improved his free throw shooting though and on the offensive glass he's still okay although i think he goes for stats enough that he he'll go for those and not get back a lot of times too um who else do you want to talk about kind of in this range i have kelly olenic here yep me too he's you know a talented offensive player uh, aaron baines I, I baines might be getting the short shrift just because this season has been so weird for him but i really like him as a backup five and you know the line yeah. between high-end capable backup five and low-end starter is very thin so yeah. he i could easily see in a different circumstance him being in my tier five but i have him in this tier six for right now did we, we you mentioned his name but i have willie Colley stein here i think you know the step below i don't trust him all the way and that's exactly why yeah Sacramento no yeah this is this is where i have him too. okay this is, okay this i wasn't is, sure i have like the 27 to 37 right oh and by yeah. the way looking at my list i did have ennis Cantor a tier below okay for future reference and i i have tristan thompson here i think he might be getting short shrift due to injuries as well and i mean yeah it's cl- been a couple of years now yeah for him, though, that's true where, where and i mean really they cle- and cleveland level. sucked defensively last year too so yeah that, that's that's worth noting Cody i have zeller i had zeller I think, a tier above i had him yeah, in tier five if if he you know he's limited size wise doesn't do much offensively other than finish around the rim and i think he's fallen off there and then the injury concerns that's that's the biggest reason why i felt justified yeah, where it's just like I, he's not gonna play that many minutes at, i'm now thinking games. about having zeller and baines in different tiers and being like is that really just a difference of opportunity more than anything else yeah i mean they're different players but i mean sure I think but in terms yeah. of overall value like yeah. they're not that to me they're not that different um has, making has different money white side here what did you make of nerland's noel i actually you know i think he's been good in limited minutes but he's so painfully thin that that kind of limits his role a little bit you know they've had trouble on the defensive glass when he's been out there but you know statistically uh, on the defensive end is his numbers have been good in terms of the on off stuff i had him at the very top of the pure backup group which is basically everything after that and i didn't order those guys at all there right. there are a ton of them i didn't even list everybody because i just got so tired of listing guys and but nerlens i think i have i have a concern about him in terms of scalability like you know offensively can you really put more on his plate and then defensively i think he works better as a backup than a starter just because that that thinness can be more of a concern and it can be attacked more now in certain schemes and certain systems i think he could actually work really well as a starter you know for that vision and so noel could end up being undervalued in this free agent market like i could see that happening where he ends up being better 
better if he gets chosen by the right team and signs with the right team, better than some of the guys who are ahead of him on the list. But because I don't see as much versatility in his game or I just I just had him a little lower. But yeah, I mean, he could be better than that for sure. Yeah, I think in kind of the group of bench guys, Jordan Bell... Kevon Looney were in there. Dwight Howard is probably there at this point in time. Um, Joakim Noah is actually, you know, I think he's actually been a solid backup center, uh, amazingly enough. Um, and, and, you know, just your usual backup center brigade here. Another couple of observations I wanted to make in just in terms of the efficiency and like what replacement level is uh, with this group. There are 26 centers who have played more than 500 minutes this year that have a 20 PER or above. And that is, and that doesn't even include a lot of the, some of the quote-unquote big names uh that that we've mentioned you know i mean al horford doesn't necessarily fall into that category steven adams ibaka um and you really have to be awful to have a per and and here's another one too 15 pr is supposed to be league average and yes i'm aware pr is flawed blah blah but it, you know it's just it, it's still this is disgusting why we may need a recalibration when it comes to centers only if 15 pr is supposedly average only 13 of the 67 centers that i looked at here have prs below 15 uh well and and beyond that if we're talking positional scarcity using espn's positional distinctions only 15 threes and only 12 shooting guards have a per of 15 or higher yeah so it really does seem to have changed a lot uh, based on on position so who were your biggest risers from last year even though it wasn't the highest in terms of number i think Jokic's rise is really significant moving into tier one that's that's important i moved him all the way up to number two in the league but biggest risers probably brooke lopez i mean last year remember it was such a weird year for him on the lakers he was in my i think i had, I had him i had him and 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 vooch in tier six and now i have those guys in tier three yeah i mean i had vooch had, had really struggled last year um but you know he was I had him in like the low 30s. I had Brooke Lopez in the mid 20s. So yeah, I mean, those those guys have definitely bumped up quite a bit. I mean, Vooch, the fact that he's not in the most improved player discussion to me is absolutely insane. Like how is he, he might be the most improved player, especially when you consider the chance of doing that between age 27 and 28, where he had really, I mean, under Clifford, I think his defense has gotten a lot better. You know, he's been really their only hope offensively. So yeah, so he's one who's really really bumped up a lot and last year for reference i had joel Embiid in his own tier at number one then i had carl towns and rudy gobert at number in the second tier and then i had horford Jokic, andre drummond I don't, why was i why did i have drummond that high that was stupid uh and then demarcus this is shortly after he had torn the achilles last year uh at seven another big riser for me was turner i had turner down at 15 last year now he's at, at number eight um nurkic is a big riser from 23 up to 10 he had a, a down year last year and didn't get the extension that he wanted to this year he, he had been awesome obviously before the broken leg Dwayne Deadwin 34 up to 18 with the way he shot the three that's been huge um and no one else who really was like an enormous riser for me uh what about and Jokic obviously went way up as well uh what about fallers for you Pau Gasol I had him yeah. tier four last year 
now he's you know in the backup category if if that if that yeah if that deandre jordan tier three to that kind of i think that was tier six or something like that you know yeah. moving and, I, that, and I that's number nine last year and now he's like you know not even starting caliber drummond i i don't think he fell as far for me as for you because you had him higher but he went from from tier three to i think kind of towards the bottom of tier four but yeah, that's a I that's a pretty drummond, good... like we did this earlier in the year last year i think he had like a really nice start to the year last year that sounds possible and detroit overall was like looking a lot better uh at the start of last year as well and so i think i was just giving him some credit as their ostensible best player before the the griffin trade dwight howard and he was like in the teens for me now he's out of it yeah cody zeller's fallen for me both former teammates those guys have both fallen out of it i mean just and then Whiteside step stepped off a little bit that's not a huge surprise to me especially when you're seeing the way that miami's utilizing him differently now still getting paid but you have that as well uh so here's a question i wanted to ask just briefly what do you think like i mean because some of it is just young guys getting better i've been really interested in times of like who the next miles turner is like somebody who's going to really move into the top 10 to 15 that isn't there already well let's see who are some candidates there jared allen uh, yeah he's maybe i think i think he's kind of going to settle a little bit below that yeah you know i I think he's he's made incremental progress this year but maybe not quite as much uh, as hoped um you know some would certainly say ayton uh i think he could take a big step forward offensively next year but i'm still of course skeptical about his defense uh wendell wendell carter mm-hmm. i think it could be someone that we would really look at you know if he can just get a little bit better on offense i think he was a positive defensively this year which is impressive Ma- mine is bam pick. Because, yeah. I mean, if he's the full-time starter next year, Miami has a really good defense yet again, and then he's capable yeah. offensively. I've, I think I've got him higher than you. I mean, I don't Yeah, that, him, it might just yeah. be that you have him where I'm going to have him. Yeah, I don't see him getting above, like, the Capella level necessarily, though. I mean, Agreed. I think he's just too limited from a skill standpoint. Uh, Jakob Pertl, maybe, although I actually have him lower this year than last year, interestingly enough. Um, let's see. I, I'm skeptical. Like, so, so some of the reason Mitchell Robinson's defensive metrics have looked so good is because the Knicks are so bad defensively when he's not on the floor. Like I, I cracked up because they're I think they're still like 25th percentile in you know, defensive rating when Mitchell Robinson's out there, but that's a lot better than like fifth percentile or whatever it is when he's not. So that's you know that's a part of it. But he has I mean his shot blocking, he's gonna get better at not jumping at shots. I don't think he's gonna reach that level, but I just want to mention him as a guy who I think will be better next year. Yeah, Jordan Bell as well. I mean it's hard to see Bell actually starting. Right. But I could see him. The Nerlens Noel games. problem. I see right. I see there's being similarities between those two guys. Yeah, although I you know, I like Bell better as a switch guy. I like Bell better uh as an offensive player than Noel. His mid range jumper is going along. It's just it, it's been so weird with him in this Warriors situation. But I mean the guy does make plays. Uh what about guys who could potentially fall off? I mean, obviously the older guys, um, you know, I could see Vooch. I mean, this year has been such an outlier for him, taking a big step back. Um I, like I said, Demarcus, maybe he just never recovers. Lamarcus and Horford, you know, may, just with because of age, may just not be at an All Star level anymore. Well, and as regular season players in particular, like you could see yeah. them take a step back there. Brooke Lopez, I mean, whenever somebody has a year like this, and I put them as high as I do, I always think they could fall back to it. Whether that's you know having a worse year with the Bucks or going somewhere else and just realizing that they caught lightning in a bottle. Yeah, Nurkic, sadly, if he doesn't recover as well as I hope that he will from that broken leg, Gasol, Marcus Hassan, Gasol. Hassan Whiteside, maybe. I mean, to, especially yeah, if I mean, he gets he's already at number. 27 he doesn't have a lot more to fall for 
for me. Yeah, see, he he's in the lo- he's in the low teens for me, so he could still oh, yeah. he could he could fall to like where DeAndre Jordan is, or maybe even past that. Um, you know, maybe someone who could move up would be Zach Collins. You know, if he could, maybe yeah. Re- I mean, he's gonna have a chance to show it here. He's had a, a very underwhelming second season as Nurkic has emerged. I mean, I think at the start of the year, many, I, I mean, even at, in the first couple of games, Collins actually closed some games over Nurkic uh, instead, and obviously Nurkic uh, completely outplayed him. But he'll have his chances. I mean, he's he's got talent. Uh, well, so. it's a, something I wanted to say as we kind of wrap this up. That is imp- that is is clarifying again with the centers is to me this this time I'm thinking more about it not in terms of who you pay but in terms of who you draft and I think you need to have a very clear case for why a player is going to get into that top 10, you know, like great on one end and good enough on the other end to not kill you, that kind of that kind of range in order to take them high. And by high, I'm probably even meeting the top 10, maybe the lottery, depending on how likely that is. And I think Zach Collins is a good clarif- clarifier here. Like, I don't... like. I didn't get to watch him at Gonzaga, so maybe there was a theory that he could be more impactful defensively. His block rate is, has he's had some really nice blocks at moments in time. But to me, you have to have that like really clear case to go high when you consider positional scarcity and also the fact that even if a guy doesn't hit at a position of greater need, if they're still like a rotation quality player, you're still getting a lot out of them. If that's a, you know, 20 minute a game point guard, a 20 minute a game three, that's useful. That's a part of your, you're getting them cost controlled for years, team controlled for, if you're drafting in the first round for eight years or so, I would roll the dice so many more times on those type of players than a center who might work out. All right, we're done here. I will mention that my podcast with Tom Haberstroh, which was really fun, we talked about rest and momentum and injury management and the MVP race that is out. That's Real Jam Radio came out on Thursday afternoon. That is there. And I wrote a piece on Kemba Walker's, the complicated situation for him with designated veteran status, where basically it could open up a way for the Hornets to retain him, but it it also becomes a huge luxury tax problem. And so kind of, and also it, it made me think about just how screwed up their circumstances. And so like, you know, like that, that you have this player who's the best guy in franchise history. So that's out now working on off season preview type stuff. And that will, I'm guessing those will probably start being published this week. And then also our Patreon subscriber mailbag that went out. We recorded that on Saturday. Lots of really good stuff. I would say what would be most interesting to people is we talked about our, our remaining basketball bucket list, like the things we want to experience in person, our favorite and best non-championship teams that was a fun question yeah we we spent some real time on that and then you know some of the some of the mechanics in terms of like what of the book what the bucks did defensively to the rockets can transfer and since we didn't we did we talked about the game on the nba cast it served as kind of like a a bridge for something we didn't really go into in depth on dunked on at this point yeah and we'll be posting i apologize but with uh liam working for the thunder we haven't had uh, as much manpower but i will be getting up on patreon all of these rankings as well so uh look out for those patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue and we'll talk to you all tomorrow night till then